Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey guys, Brent and Kaysen back with another edition of the Standard Sportsman Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in as we've uh, just launched this thing recently and and went with a plan to launch with a handful of episodes uh, right out of the gate to just kind of got to swing a pretty big hammer from the get-go and uh, we've been overwhelmed and pleasantly uh, surprised by all the feedback and support that we've gotten uh, not only from our sponsors uh, but also those that have listened and we, we we truly appreciate that and and thank you for taking the time but the the response has been been pretty cool wouldn't you say Kaysen? Yeah, the response has been pretty good. Um, I had a bunch of people reach out. They're they're interested in, in what we're talking about. So that always that always makes you feel good. You know, it's something you and I are very passionate about uh, continuing the sport as we know it and passing that on. So it's great to see that there's a common interest amongst other people there. So it's been good. I'm excited to see what the future holds. No doubt. Uh, you know, we got a long ways to go. We're learning. Um, this is this is kind of a new medium for both of us. Um, so, uh, you know, expectations were, were pretty, pretty much nothing. We didn't know what, uh, how it would go. So, uh, you know, pleased with the progress so far and hopefully we can attract some more, some more listeners. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, our last episode on the season frameworks and the history of limits and all that, um, had a, had a pretty good reception. Uh, and we, we felt like it would, because not a lot of people talk about that uh, and there's so much there that predates a lot of people in the sport now because we've been doing, as we mentioned, the 60 days and six ducks for 27 years now. Um, I mean, I've got, I think I mentioned, I've got a son that's, he, he is 27. He, he obviously he didn't hunt coming out of the womb, but pretty close, but uh, you know, lots of people out there don't know anything. All he knows. Yeah, that's right. All he knows. Yeah. 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 I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday. They called me about it. We're talking about that episode in particular. I was like, you know, it's funny. A lot of the things that you and I have talked about, I, I've, forget or, or don't recall that well until we start you know kind of chatting about all that stuff and it, and it was fun uh, the point system that's always fun to talk about and remember those days and just kind of how crazy some of that was but uh yeah that seems to be a popular episode and i'm glad that it is because that was a fun one to sit there and talk about definitely definitely well i think we've got another uh cool one today um you know we're we're really Really excited about the progress that we've uh, made. Like I said, I think this one will be another uh, fantastic one. But before we uh, launch into that, let's take a quick break and and uh, let a couple of our sponsors do their thing. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Sitka Gear, turning clothing into gear. No name is more synonymous with waterproof clothing than Gore-Tex. And over the last 50 years, Gore-Tex has changed how we look at waterproof clothing. Waders have come a long way since I borrowed a pair of felt-sole Converse from my mother to go on my first hunt in the woods. The Delta waders from Sika Gear have made disposable waders a thing of the past. From the Gore-Tex lining to the breathable fabric to even the boots on them, I can stay comfortable day in and day out in the field. 
From high-performance base layers to windproof, waterproof outer layers, Sika Gear has you covered. Gunner, the team that brought you the world's best dog kennel, recently released a training bumper designed to better assist working dogs and their owners throughout the field and training obedience process. The Gunner bumper has a taper, vented design to promote proper holding and maximum breathability. It also has an adjustable removable rope with two grip and carry positions. And because they crafted this with a proprietary rubber compound, it's sure to be a durable and reliable tool. Maybe the thing that sets it apart the most, though, is the removable cap that allows you to utilize an interior cavity for wings, feathers, and any other scent training necessity. Most of the product reviews reference that, including this five-star review from Mark. I absolutely love my new bumpers. The ability to scent train with these is saving me on live frozen birds, let alone the ease and convenience of using the bumper versus a thawed bird. Now I simply take a piece of the wing and slide it into the bumper. Historically, I went through a bird every couple of days. Now one teal has lasted me two weeks. They're extremely versatile and like everything Gunner, extraordinarily well-designed and constructed. Uh, so I think the big question today, you, you hear it come up, uh, especially on social media, but you know, is Arkansas still the duck hunting capital of the world? Do we still hold that title or, or have things changed that much? Yeah, I've, I've seen this posted quite a bit and actually saw an interview uh, with some people at the Delta Waterfowl Expo here a couple of weeks ago here in Little Rock. And uh, the guy was kind of walking the floor and interviewing people at random. At least I assume they're random. They might have been people he knew or just know in the industry or whatever, because he was affiliated with one of the brands. But um, he asked, I don't know, six, eight, ten people uh, if they could go on a dream trip tomorrow, where would they go? And interestingly, none of them answered uh, Arkansas, which was which was kind of strange. And I don't know if that's maybe because they won. They they were from Arkansas. They were at the expo, obviously here in the in the capital city. So maybe they were local and they already get to hunt here. So somewhere else would be a dream trip. But uh, have you know various answers? Canada, um, different different places. A lot of more Canada. Um, you know wh- whether they <laughs> what they thought of Arkansas it was hard to tell. Um, maybe they've already been here before. So that was kind of interesting uh, hearing that, and that kind of kind of made me think: Is this the perception people have all over the place uh, that that maybe Arkansas is not the dream trip anymore? Now, I think through the the course of this episode, we're going to dispute that uh, pretty solidly. So, um, but I still I even see spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. But but I, <laughs> I but I see people. Uh, even in-state people uh, kind of poo-poo that tagline when somebody uses it, uh, basically saying, well, maybe once upon a time it was. So um, I think it'd be an interesting topic, topic for us to talk through and kind of kind of weigh in on, on some of that, not only anecdotally, uh, but also statistically. Well, it's, you know, it's, it goes back a long way from where that title kind of came from. You know, it really took off in the forties, but it was the famed green timber of Arkansas. That's, you know, celebrities, if you will, you know, people, from big city, they, they traveled down here to come, to come see that, to see duck hunting in the wild. Um, and it really was in the wilderness, in the wild back then. And so that, that term took off and there's really, you know, Stuttgart kind of settled with the, I guess the title, if you will, but there was, uh, given that we're north of Stuttgart, I'm going to stick up for us a little bit. There was a little, little bit of an argument about really where, where the duck hunting capital in the state was. There's a article on, on the wall in our lodge. 
I think it was the Arkansas Traveler, if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. paper from eons ago. But there was an article in there about, you know, our place and kind of, you know, where the real the real capital was. Um, so it's it's been something that's that Arkansas has held on to for a long time. And it's long since been a destination for a number of people. Yeah, because, you know, this really took off, uh, you know, Arkansas being this this place to travel to to hunt. Um you know, we kind of got a grip on limits and all that, like, you know, like we talked about in the past em- uh, episode there between the two world wars um, and coming out of that. Uh, that's also about the same time that the, you know, the Tyndall brothers and and uh, the, the Frodenbergs figured out that you could levy up these these parts of their farms that they couldn't produce any ag crop on, uh, but they could levy them up the whole water. And then lo and behold, the ducks really liked them too. So uh, the word got out. This was probably right around the end of World War II. Uh, so that mid forties. And that's when you saw a lot of people coming from, especially from St. Louis, St. Louis had a, a huge draw and it was easy to get here by rail uh, at that time. Um, uh, but you had, you had uh, people traveling from New York city. Uh, the Pulitzers are, were well known uh, around Stuttgart for their, uh, their presence, uh, they they uh, there's even stories about them renting uh, rooms. They had like season long rooms in the Riceland Hotel, which is there on Main Street in Stuttgart. Uh, and when their their wives would come, they would hire uh, you know like uh, hairstylists and uh, people to do pampering type things for their wives while the while the men went out and hunted uh, on the on the ground that they leased. I don't think they ever bought ground. I think they leased uh, that Freudenberg Reservoir uh, for a long time, but uh, and then you started to get this uh, attraction of of you know professional baseball players uh, coming to coming to Arkansas to hunt, and so word got out, and so uh, you know all of a sudden it's it's branded that way, and and it definitely was centered on Stuttgart. But you got to remember, not long after that, the uh, ABC's Worldwide of Sports did that episode from Wiener, which is you know for those that don't know. Uh, it's a little bit south of Jonesboro, which is in northeast Arkansas. It's not part of the Grand Prairie at all. Um, and everybody's probably, you know, everybody's duck hunted pretty much has seen either that video of that just a, mon- a humongous explosion of ducks off that uh, stick pond reservoir that they had. Uh, and then, of course, the photo that's been floating around for, for several years. You've seen a lot of duck camps and whatnot. But you know, that was in the mid fifties. Uh, and so that led to exactly what you're talking about, that it's not necessarily Stuttgart. It's, it's all the way Pocahontas, all the way to Lake village, the whole East side of the state. And then there's some old clubs in Southwest Arkansas. Um, and then there's stuff in the, you know, Arkansas river Valley around Russellville, Moralton. Uh, yeah. That's really good. So it's really, to me, it's a, it's a statewide uh, moniker, even though it is part of Stuttgart's branding. And it's interesting. You know, we're sitting here talking about that. You can, we can think about the Mississippi Delta, West Tennessee, you know, a lot of other places that that have hunting and have quality hunting. But it's I don't know of a lot of others that have it, you know, down one whole long stretch, kind of like Arkansas does. It is very widespread and there's a lot of good hot spots all over that side of the state and even in the central Arkansas, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and you compare it to other states geographically, it's concentrated in some some areas that one that probably aren't as large and if they are as large they're they're sparsely populated um and in arkansas you know arkansas is not a very big state Uh, i can't remember how many 
acres it it is and or square miles or however you want to look at it but uh just the amount of habitat mainly driven you know through being part of the delta the mississippi river delta and then the the confluence of all the rivers that we have and then you date it back to you know somebody starts farming rice in the early 1900s and and away we go as far as being that magnet for ducks and and namely obviously the mallard yeah you said something there and i'll i'll touch on it even though i don't know that it, i guess it relates to the topic today but that's an interesting thing that arkansas backed into i guess by chance maybe you know as commodity prices increased nationwide land was cleared to be put into production what what arkansas had going for it was that we put rice into production so we we took away one habitat for waterfowl, but then provided another. And you kind of saw that shift. <clears throat> excuse me. You saw that shift with waterfowl moving away from using timber as much and learning to use these ag fields. And Arkansas was fortunate that it was still providing good habitat at that time. Now, we know rice fields are different today, but we kind of benefited from that. And I think, you know, that moniker continued to stick because the birds continued to come to the state. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and, uh, you know, that branding is strong. It's still used. You can, you, you can read articles in, in, uh, newspapers outside the state when sports writers come here, or, uh, you know, duck capital of the world is, is still, still a strong brand and, and definitely associated with, with, with Arkansas, not only Stuttgart, but Arkansas, because there, there is, you know, there's obviously excellent hunting uh, in in the area you're in, which I, you know, we talked about earlier episode that kind of that east central, you know, that Cache River, uh, Brinkley, Langy, uh, you know, all the St. Francis, all that kind of area, and then you stretch up to you know Black River and and uh, and all that going on in far northeast Arkansas. So there's you know there's some strong strong hunting uh, well beyond the the circumference of Stuttgart. So, um, but but let's kind of talk about you know, we, a lot of people like to refer to these good old days and, and kind of, you know, recollect, uh, that, that the hunting used to be better. Now it's, now it's kind of a mess and all that, but, um, you know, we, we already hashed through the season links and the frameworks and the limits and how that all bounced around good days, you know, the good times and the bad times as far as duck populations go, which obviously coincidentally lead to how harvest goes, but, uh, but, you know, there's some numbers out there, that are pretty interesting, um, you know, as relation to duck stamps, um, you know, we haven't always sold a, a resident and a non-resident Arkansas state duck stamp. We didn't, we didn't start doing that, um, until I, I think around, I can't remember 2000, I want to say somewhere around 2005 is when we did that. Yeah. I don't remember for sure, but it's somewhere in there before we started breaking it out. So there was just a lump sum, but you know, you start looking at where we were uh, after that rough patch in the late 80s, early 90s. We were down to to 40,000 duck stamps sold, um, which is uh, a f- fraction of where we are now. Uh, considering this past year, we uh, we sold our all-time high uh, with a hun- almost 110,000 um, sold. So you, you think about kind of as the quality of the hunting went, we lost a, a lot of, a lot of waterfowlers because, um, you know, we, we took some big upswings, you know, not even 10 years later, we were up to 93,000 sold in, in 2001. So it kind of rides a, 
kind of rides a wave, but it kind of speaks to me. It kind of speaks to the popularity of, of, of the state. Uh, Cause this being around right around a hundred thousand stamps sold, isn't a new thing. I mean, 2001 was 22 seasons ago. Um, so it's, it's been a while. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, as the, as that season, as that hunting got rough, duck stamps sales plummeted, uh, but they bounced back and, and continue to hold strong and as, rough as we think the last few seasons has been compared to what our memory is people are still coming here because last year we sold more out-of-state duck stamps than we sold in-state duck stamps yeah and those are really interesting numbers it's i thought about this as you started there you were talking about the good old days some there will be some people listening who will still think that 1992 was a heyday even though duck numbers are down their, their excuse or not excuse but their reasoning could be that, well, there was only 40,000 duck hunters, you know, in the state. So it was a lot better back then than it is now. Um, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, but I thought I would point that out. I think that'll be the takeaway for some listeners, but yeah, you, you can't, I don't think you can look at license sales and argue with the popularity in the state. I mean, certainly ups and downs, but still strong, very strong. Yeah. Cause you, you think about, we sold more out of state duck stamps last year and we've got a more restrictive policy or, or regulations regarding when they can hunt on public ground. So they're still, right. they're still coming. Um, you had, uh, you know, a significant drought that everybody knew it was going to be dry uh, because it was, it was extremely dry all summer that we knew going in the fall, it was even worse. So people still came uh, despite knowing, uh, man, we might not have a, a, pocket of water to hunt over uh now i realized a lot of those people you know went through outfitters which i mean you do that and, and i'm i'm assuming you've got quite a bit of non-resident guests that come to your place but um i don't think i don't think we've let too loose on that duck hunting capital of the world uh stranglehold so to speak um because it, you start looking at at the amount of stamps sold and you, you kind of gauge in that, man, we're still attracting our, our in-state level holds pretty, pretty solid. It's 45 to 50,000 in-state duck stamps sold, but our, our, uh, out of state starts is, it's been slowly creeping closer and closer to the same amount of, that in-state duck hunters are coming. Uh, so right. people, uh, people come have bad well, experiences, the- right? Arkansas, if I'm never going there again, but there's a lot of factors sure. involved in all that. Yeah, well, the the kind of exclamation point to me on on those stats, if I'm not mistaken, we're the only state in America that has an increase in duck hunters. Yeah, we, we're losing yeah. duck hunters in every other state except in Arkansas. So I, I think that should dispel any any rumors that we're losing the crown. But but let's talk about some of the things that could be turning people off. We kind of we, we got close to it just a second ago. I mean, let's talk about the overcrowding on WMAs and the out-of-state hunter ban. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that may not make your trip as enjoyable as it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, you, you hear reports and you see it firsthand, you know, several days before season, you've got people that are, that are being paid to sleep in their truck and line at a boat ramp to hold a spot at a boat ramp. I mean, I don't know whose idea of fun that is, but it's not mine. That's not, that's not my dream trip. No, is it yours? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, and, um, and, and people will tell you 
that uh, a lot of those license plates they say are, are, you know, from somewhere else. All right. So we can back up even further on that. I mean, because the, the, the argument over public hunting has been an argument as long as I've been a duck hunter. Um, You can pick and choose the topic, but the argument has always been there. So we'll go back, you know, a couple steps before that it was guides on WMAs, right? The big complaint was that you, you couldn't get, couldn't get a good hole because they, you know, some guy had this one or had that one. So there was competition there. You know, we changed that for the better. We got rid of all the guides, but is it really for the better? And I, and I, yeah, I guess in some ways, but you, there are some opinions beginning to surface that maybe, maybe things were better the way it was back before 2001. Um, certainly access was a little more limited, but um, have you heard anyone say that? Have you, have you had that thought floated around in your circle? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, there, of course you talk to anybody that guided back then uh, and, and guided that, you know, that, that public ground, they felt that it was much more organized when the guides were there, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there was a, there was a protocol and a, and a, you know, standard operating procedures that everybody just fell in line. Now, another side of that coin is maybe they bully their way into that. Uh, and it, for them, it, it was organized cause nobody was going to mess with them and they were going to get their hole and their whole, their whole runner was going to, be unobstructed getting to where they want to go and, and set up and nobody was going to hunt close to them because they knew that was their, their spot. Um, right. Cause they, they want to portray it and maybe it was, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in there amongst it, but they, they portray it that it was this gentlemanly, um, you know, agreement amongst everybody in the woods that, and, and things were better in there. Now, the only reason they, they kicked the guides off of the public ground is because the non this, the regular guy hunting the public woods, the non guides were uh, raising enough of a stink that it, that it was a problem that these guys are running roughshod over everybody and, and uh, dominating the the public ground. So, um, you know, where it falls, I don't know, maybe somewhere in between. Um, but it, you know, it hasn't hurt, you know, originally they thought, and that was part of the selling point on behalf of the guides is okay. You're going, you're going to kick us off of here. And, and, and so nobody's going to come to Arkansas anymore because they don't, they aren't going to know how to hunt the woods. They're going to get lost. Uh, our, our tourism pace is, is going to drop. And that obviously has not happened. Um, given we've gone, now we've gone to a situation where we only allow out of state hunters to come in certain windows, uh, cut back, cut back right. their access. And, and obviously Canada, Manitoba's fallen in that line. And now, now Kansas is considering it. So, um, you know, you know, what happened after 2001 and, then, and, and, and some people will remember that they even raised this topic got, got hot in like 2007, 2008, because there were guides that were operating in the public ground, but under, you know, the letter of the law, they weren't commercial hunting they were they were using workarounds to uh take still take people uh they would give away or they would they would sell like a fishing trip which included a free duck hunt and they would cart people in there or they would they would take a 
an exorbitant amount for their lodging and meals and say that the uh-huh. duck hunt was free. And so they tried to bend the rules that way. And of course that got, that got pretty, pretty blown up and, and pretty heated that, that people were trying to skip around the, the intent of the regulations. So, you know, that was a little bit of a mess and I'm sure there's still some small element of that, um, of, of people getting taken in there for a, you know, uh, under the table uh, payment uh, or something like that. But, you know, it, yeah, if there's, there's five guys in a group from South Carolina and one guy from Arkansas, uh, they're probably just friends. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and you got, you know, you got all this going on too, with all the, all the, uh, media production trying to go on in the, in the public ground. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, there, I've heard people question whether that, I mean, should we be allowing that somebody's making a, a buck off of a public hunting ground that they may not even contribute anything to other than buying an out-of-state duck stamp and a non-resident license. Right. Um, but they're, they're turning that into to you know some some revenue for them probably not paying any taxes here so on and so forth so uh that i mean that's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit on all that and and uh but i but i've heard that brought up it's so it's interesting to me the difference in how everything is viewed when you look at guiding on public for waterfowl versus guiding in a fishery let's say coastal louisiana you know, like people hold those two things in entirely different lights. Um, and I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I just think it's interesting that it's okay in a fishery. It's not okay with waterfowl um, to, to make a living off the mm-hmm. public land, if you will. But I don't know. This sounds like it could be a good episode on its own. Um, <laughs> yeah, it probably is. <laughs> and it, it, it would probably, you know, it'd be interesting to have somebody that was, you know, maybe on the, maybe on the commission at that time, uh, cause I, you know, it'd be a good round table, it would be a good, get a couple people. On. Yeah, it would be, uh, because you know, th- there was a group of guides that banded together and filed a lawsuit, um, against the game and fish, um, that, uh, I remember that was out there. Cause I, I remember a couple of those guides and who they were that were kind of the ringleaders on that. Um, uh, you know, it was a big deal. Um, uh, but yeah. Oh, I say, uh, you know, we talk about all that to say this, the the elimination of the the waterfowl guides is not slow down the non-resident hunters coming to uh, be on the public ground uh, here. At least. No, and it, and it hasn't slowed the drama either. Um, no. So, you know, if, if it were if it detracted from your perception of Arkansas duck hunting 20 plus years ago, then what's going on in today's world probably does just the same. And we, we talked about that before we started the show. You know, I mentioned that, you know, when we can't police ourselves, somebody else would do it for us. And the, the downside to that is no one ever likes when, when the government does it for you. Um, no, that's no. getting off topic there, but uh, so, so let's shift, let's shift real quick from public and, and get back into, you know, we're talking about the competition on public. Let's talk about the competition for private ground. Let's, I mean, yeah, Lease values have gone insane. Uh, yeah, pr- uh, property values have gone up, especially in recreational property. I don't think thirty years ago you really had recreational brokers. Now you have people that specialize in rec land or the development of rec land, um, and that's kind of a a pretty recent 
trend, wouldn't you say? I would. Uh, and I think it's only grown. And I think, uh, you know, a reason why it's grown so much is, you know, when you're eliminating, you know, somebody to come here and, and hunt public ground when they want to at their, at their frequency, whether that's one or two weekends a year, whether that's every weekend or, or that they stay all 60 days, um, now you push them towards a lease or now you push them towards uh, purchasing property. And so that, that makes it more competitive on the private side. So if you're a guy that lives here, for example, in Little Rock and you, uh, you know, a farm comes up for sale or some woods come up for sale. Well, odds are you're, you're not going to be just competing against Arkansans for that piece of property. You're probably going to have some out of state influences uh, trying to get their hands on that property too. And so it drives the, or drives the price up because there's not just a whole lot of that ground out there. And I like for right now, I know inventory is pretty low based on my friends that are in that business and, and talking about it. So when one does come open, everybody and their brother, that's, you know, wanting hunting ground in Arkansas, it, uh, it pulls them out of the woodwork. And, and, yeah. and the, and the backside of that is they, you know, they pay exponentially more than maybe what that property was worth or, or what it would, would go for, Five years ago, ten years ago, uh, twenty years ago, uh, and and that's a big factor that 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 kind of uh, isn't isn't as an apparent. You know, yeah, you're you're limiting people on public ground. Well, now you've pushed them into the private environment uh, to where uh, pricing has just gone. It's gone crazy. It, yeah, it is. We had we had a couple of tracks that went to auction here next to us. One of them was next to us. Um, went to auction here a week or so ago. And that was kind of the, the rumor, you know, around town was, Oh, you know, someone out of state's going to come in and buy it. And actually I think when it was all said and done, I, I don't think any of the three tracks were purchased by anyone here locally. Now they didn't bring the the price that everyone anticipated, you know, for this quote unquote rec land. It, it actually, I thought went maybe at what I would consider fair market, maybe even a little bit lower than that. But, but again, it was, you know, these were smaller tracks that ended up going to to out of state, I believe, out of state purchasers, and that's kind of abnormal uh, on the long term. It's it's more recent. You know, we had a a bigger track north of us uh, that they got sold or changed hands. It didn't even get listed. It just it got bought. <laughs> that's how the good ones go. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but it was a, an investment firm, you know, a, a trust mm-hmm. that bought it, not not individuals. So it's that's definitely changing, and I think all of that plays a role in how someone views the the hunting or the experience in a state, you know, that it's more competitive and the more competitive something gets probably the less you're going to enjoy it. And, and I understand that. Um, we see it all around our border with other outfitters um, and it decreases the enjoyment of providing for the resource for me. Uh, it, it's tough to, and, and we hunt birds and we do all that. Uh, obviously, we're duck hunters first, but but that competition and that uh, consumer mentality kind of changes your perspective. So I can see where you know public opinion may be shifting. I don't think the numbers back it up, but I can see where the opinion may be. Well, that's not as much fun as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, and 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 another thing I think leads to that. Um, you know, we 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 mentioned social media quite a bit. Uh, you know, in our discussions, but it's real easy to uh, throw yourself, you know, some decoys together, rent a little farmhouse and, and get some access to some, some lease ground 
and become a guide service nowadays. And so, you know, you, you think about, and I'm sure you, you, you know, you've been in the business, you probably see all kinds of fly by night stuff, stuff pop up and you probably run across on social media that, Hey, we got spots available. Uh, that's the, that is the fame. Well, only a few <laughs> spots available. That's the famous, uh, yeah. quote that you see, um, better book now. Yeah. Better book now. Only a few spots available. Uh, you know, don't miss this opportunity. I got to, I got to tell the story real quick. I know I'm interrupting you. So a couple of years ago, it was in the fall and I'm, I'm on our road grader slicking our roads up to going into hunting season and get all, and I see someone stop at one of our gates. Right. And they finally moved before I get there with the machine. Now, mind you, this is a road grader. It's moving very slow. So it took me a while to get around there to them, but on my, get off the machine, get back in the truck and my phone starts going off. I get videos sent to me on Instagram where this outfit not too far from us had posted videos of birds in our fields. And were like few spots available, book your hunt today. Oh man. And I called him out on it. I'm like, dude, I saw you stop at our gate and film that. Like, why are you, why are you doing that? Uh, but yeah, anyway, we, I've got a lot of stories. Oh, like that. I, see have all no kinds of stuff. I have no doubt, but, but <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to lead to some bad experiences and that's going to leave a bad taste in sure. people's mouth. Uh, that's right. You know, they didn't do their homework or they, they, they were duped by somebody that, you know, that happens. That happens on, you know, used car lots. It happens at, you know, all kinds of sure. things. I mean, you get misled and, and things don't go like you, you like you hope they would in the end. But um, you know, that's a, that's been a long running deal. Cause we've had some wild swings in amount of duck guides there are, uh, mm-hmm. there used to be, I mean, the, the Stuttgart chambers website had a big, long directory. Uh, and at one time, I mean, it seemed like there were over a hundred guides services that they had lifted listed. And then, and then you go back and, and, you know, five years later, there'd be a quarter of that. I mean, the, the ones that stayed in business. Uh, so, you know, that, that's another one that's probably tarnished our our reputation a little bit is is some of this fly by night um you know almost snake oil salesman and I'm not saying all the mm-hmm. all the new guide services are the ones that don't have the long reputation like y'all do or like slicks or five oaks or or uh, you know a handful of others because there are up and coming guide services that that are that are just building their business and the guys are good guys and they know what they're doing and they know how to treat customers sure, absolutely they have access mm-hmm. to good ground that that exists not not everybody has to be in business for for 50 years to be uh, a good guide service that's right but you got to do your homework um uh, and and create a better experience for yourself um by doing that and, and avoid those those ones that are a little bit sketchy and then you then you have you know an immediate bolt to facebook after you get back from your hunt to tell people don't ever book with this guy again um yeah so so to, to our to our listeners out there if you're following along right now and you're shaking your head yes then stay tuned uh i hate to keep teasing topics but brent and i have a lot of things we want to talk about and that in particular is an entire episode we want to discuss is kind of outfitter guide reform in the state of arkansas um because i think it needs some structure yeah uh, yeah so anyway yeah stay tuned we'll we'll get into that one day in depth anyway um yeah well you want to pause here and let's uh hear from our sponsors again we've got some great guys on board that help make this possible and then we come back let's talk about harvest data let's put some more numbers to this discussion yeah sounds great 
The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. I've always been a fan of Yeti coolers and their drinkware. Now they've come out with a Loadout 30 Go Box. Uh, Brent, did you know they're also making those in a 15 and a 60 now? I did. I've been a big fan of the 30. Uh, I actually carry around our our mobile podcast gear in one. And then I've got another one that I use during duck season that I don't have to worry about any of my gear getting wet or dusty and dry when it when hadn't rained in a while. It's an amazing product. Yeah. So I, I use them a bunch. Uh, same deal. I've got a 30 that stays in the boat, uh, carry camera gear and all sorts of equipment in it. And it's nice to know that Clients, dogs, you know, nothing's going to get it wet, going to tear it up. But the the 15 has really found a spot in my arsenal as well. I switch from hunting with clients to hunting with my kids pretty frequently. And it's great to to use that 15 as an ammo box. So I've got all the kids' ammo, gauge reducers, hand warmers, whatever they're going to need in one box. And all I've got to do is grab it and I'm ready to take them out in the woods. Yeah, the Yeti Go box is, is definitely the way to go and keep it organized, accessible and protected. And it's no matter what size you pick, it's a must-have for waterfowl season. Tom Beckby started in 2015 with the simple goal of making classic sporting apparel for sportsmen. Since introducing their flagship tinsaw jacket eight years ago, they've carried that goal forward with a full range of classic wax cotton jackets, canvas, and leather bags, and field gear for waterfowlers and upland hunters. You can shop for their full collection at TomBetby.com, in their Birmingham, Alabama, and Wilson, Arkansas stores, and at over 150 retailers across the United States. Backed by a lifetime guarantee, find out for yourself the difference between quality over quantity. All right, Brent, let's talk a little bit about harvest data. I mean, Arkansas traditionally ranks amongst the top three in overall harvest. Now, there's one area where we're kind of undisputed king, and that is mallard harvest. But we're typically in competition with Louisiana and California for overall harvest. So that puts us in you know, a pretty good spot, but that's kind of, I mean, what are your, what are your takeaway from the numbers? You know, we've got here in our show notes, 389,000 mallards harvested in 21, 22 for the state of Arkansas. And the next closest was Missouri at 177,000. Yeah. Um, so, and if you look at those numbers kind of on the, on the longer trend, you know, when, when Arkansas goes down, Missouri kind of goes with it. Um, but do you see any big any big shifts, any big changes in the upward direction? Now, there's a couple of note there in the down direction, but do you see any big changes? Is there a flyway shift? Are the birds going somewhere else? That's a, you know that's obviously a hot topic, um, super hot topic because we got to we got to blame our subpar seasons or what are perceived to be subpar seasons on something. Um, right, and, and that that one definitely gets a lot of credit uh, that. Um, some other places are all of a sudden, that's where all the ducks are going now that there's this flyway shift, but, you know, as far as the numbers go and, and whether, you know, how much you've, you know, deep in your heart, believe these numbers are, are right or wrong or, or I don't even look at them. Um, you have, you, we got to go off something and this is what we're given, uh, you know, the, the harvest numbers that the U S fish and wildlife service produces every year. And, um, you know, whether you can anecdotally say, man, I saw more ducks this year than I saw last year, or our numbers were up, but you know, everybody around me, they didn't do very well. So, you know, that's all, that's all kind of a bunch of hodgepodge of data. So, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Harvest Report is what we had to work with. And, and so that's what we, that's what we kind of based this little window of our discussion about, um, you know, you think about, you know, how poor the last few seasons have been to us. 
here in Arkansas. Um, and, and yeah, our, our Maller numbers are down because you take that 389,000 that we shot. This isn't last year. This is the season before because the report for last year is not quite out yet. But, you know, 10 years ago, we were, you know, we killed 640,000 mallards. So, you know, there's a there's a 250,000 uh, duck swing in there, uh, mallard swing in there. So, yeah, that yeah. it was it wasn't as good uh, as as some some other uh, seasons this this uh, century. But but what you know, we didn't do and what you'd have to go back and do to really analyze it is, you know, what was the conditions on the prey pothole region then? Uh, what kind of habitat and availability of water and everything did we have 10 years ago? Um, and then you can even look back 20 years ago, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. This is right after the the two robo duck seasons where we shot a, a million mallards each of those seasons. Uh, we talked about that perfect storm kind of deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in 2001, 2002, we shot 770, 1,000 mallards. So, yeah, I mean, 20 years later, our mallard harvest has been cut almost in half. Uh, but, you know, you got it. You you truly have to be able to really quantify that. You'd have to go back and look at, you know, some conditions, not only here, but but on the breeding grounds and how, how things were going to be able to, you know, see where that number really falls. Because we're, you know, whether because those duck, the point of saying all that is. Those ducks aren't going somewhere else. Nobody else has seen this 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 jump in that time frame, the twenty years or the ten years ago, that are that are, that have taken our ducks, so to speak. Um, right. Arkansas's ducks are not somewhere else because no other state is seeing this this leap and bound uh, that that people expect. And we, we we can get into a couple more things about that flyway shift here in a minute, but no state is jumping, and, and you even. And I know you have some relationships with Louisiana. You were you did some did some stuff on the the state of waterfowl with express boats that had some Louisiana influence on the on the panel. And I know you worked with their their biologist down there, Paul Link. Uh, you may you may enlighten the users just how far Louisiana's has fallen. Cool. Yeah. So we're going back here in ten year intervals, right? So. 21, 22, Arkansas killed 389,000 mallards. We said that a second ago. Louisiana killed 17,000, right? <laughs> so go back another decade to 11 and 12. Arkansas killed 640,000. Louisiana killed 147,000. So they had a good year also. Uh, go back to 01 and 02. Arkansas, 771,000. Louisiana, 127,000. So, and I can remember... I think John Devney at Delta would be proud of me for remembering this, but Maypon counts were were good in 0102, 11, 12. Like those were kind of high points mm-hmm. on the prairie. You know, we had a kind of a small drown or, or a down tick, you know, in 05, 06, you know, through there it was down a little bit, bounced up again in 11, 12, 13, I think was a good year. And then we've kind of seen a little bit of decline over the last decade. So those numbers were up pretty good because of Maypon counts and and he'll tell you and he's right you know on this end of the flyway we make a living on year of young birds that's just juvenile birds is where our harvest comes from but louisiana over this time frame has had huge huge reduction in mallard harvest uh, and and overall harvest as well but the mallard harvest is alarming in louisiana and Cal- even in california they've seen a tremendous 
downturn in mallard harvest as well. Oh man, big time, big time. Yeah. So as much as we're feeling the, the burden here, and as much as we complain, and look, you drop, you know, if your harvest drops fifty percent, that's pretty eye opening. But it's uh, a lot worse uh, for our neighbors to the south of us. Yeah, and, and they're not going. Uh, they're not going anywhere else. I mean, like you, you again, you look at the numbers. Over those decades, Oklahoma is the only one that's had an uptick. So from 01 to 11, they increased their harvest 9,000 mallards. And then the next decade, they increased another 12,000 mallards. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a good weekend in Biomeda, right? I mean, right. that's not an uptick to, to be upset about. No, no, none of those numbers are. And, and Kansas had some, had some, uh, some uptick, you know, but I, I think hunting has drastically changed uh in kansas and oklahoma um and and we can we can talk about that a little bit um california you know that's a different group of mallards that's you know pacific flyway Mm -hmm. obviously you know the central flyway and the mississippi flyway work off of the mid-continent mallard count and so right the point of all this i guess saying all and throwing all these numbers out and and talking stats is this isn't a shift thing this is a population thing um, because right. these, these ducks have not started to go someplace else. Um, it's just, it's a sheer volume of, um, of ducks and, and, and we've had some dry years, uh, on, on the prairie pothole region. And this is, this is what you get. You don't get the, the, uh, the breeding population and the fall flight, uh, that you do in a wet year, like the 2001, 2002 and the 2011, 2012, those just happened to be 10 years ago from the latest statistics that we have. So that's why I was saying that you really can't judge it entirely on those, those hard numbers. You can also think about um, that there has been no transmitter and no banding data that supports the ducks that were in the Mississippi flyway or have, have, have been coming to Arkansas, banded in Arkansas. All of a sudden those ducks are getting harvested in the central flyway. There's no, sizable evidence of that uh and, and doug osborne will, right. will will back that up uh who does a ton of banding in the state those ducks that we're banding here are are returning here still they're not going west in fact i i shot one last year towards the the back half of the season i shot a banded drake that was banded the season before in february about four miles away so yeah um these ducks aren't aren't making a a right turn as they come down the 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 Mississippi River or across you know the, the Mississippi Flyway and all of a sudden go in there. There's there's nothing that supports that, not statistically, and not transmitter wise, and not banding wise. So, yeah, you, certainly not sizable. I know I've talked to Doug on another podcast, and he and I both you know had some anecdotal evidence, you know one bird we had we had a bird that went to college station texas the year after i got banded here mm-hmm. um interesting funny to talk about that's not a flyway shift right that's that's right. a single bird and i think out of all the stuff doug has done with transmitters i think he had one maybe that went east if memory serves me correctly so just kind of you know random observations but not enough for anyone to say oh yeah they're we're losing our ducks to the central flyway yeah that's, that's not happening so what do you what do you think is causing that perception, right? I mean, because people they see it, they see harvest, and, and I guess I'm spelling it out. Where do they see it? They see it on social media, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. So is that what's driving this? Is that where people are getting the idea that, oh man, everyone out there is killing ducks? I think so. I, I, I just think, you know, with the emergence of uh, the number of outfitters and the, and, and well, actually probably it was the original outfitters in Kansas started leveraging social media. Um, and, you know, how do you get business? You got to, you got to, you got to show that you, you know, you kill some ducks. Um, and that, that effort led other people uh, that maybe want to jump in that business is, I mean, I'll go to Kansas. I'll go to Southern Kansas, Northern Oklahoma, uh, and uh, set up shop. And so your your number of outfitters starts growing, and they and they're all going to use social media. So all of a sudden, you got this abundance of pile pictures and and or, or even live act, you know, a live action of ducks and, and geese working, cranes, everything else they shoot out there. Um, that man, all of a sudden, it, it, it's the appearance that. Kansas and North Central Oklahoma have piles and piles of ducks. Well, the thing about it is, is they do. It's great hunting, uh, but it's it's maybe not to the level that everybody perceives it to be. And it and it's definitely not to right. the level, just as we discussed, that all of a sudden the ducks that were coming through, you know, our flyway headed our direction have all of a sudden headed west. Um, and so it's it's kind of created that. And then, but you can also think about, I mean, if you want to get into this statistic wise, um, you know, we hunt 60 days here in Arkansas, the better parts of Kansas hunt 74 days, right? There's even a part of Kansas that hunts 97 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, days equal ducks as the science guys like to say, meaning the more days you hunt, the more ducks you're going to shoot versus how many ducks are in a limit. But, uh, speaking of limits, they also in Kansas can kill five mallards where we can only kill four. And so, yeah, they can produce some, some picks that, that are impressive and the hunting is impressive. I've done it. I went, I went a few years ago and, uh, there's a lot of ducks in that part of the world, but, um, you know, to, to say that, that the Kansas and Oklahoma have displaced Arkansas as the, the place to go shoot mallards is, uh, is a little bit of a question mark. Yeah. And I would, I would kind of relate it to, to hunting in Canada. You know, there's this perception that all of our ducks are being shot in Canada. That's why they don't make it down here anymore. But the data doesn't, doesn't back that up. You know, they make up 10% of the continental harvest. So pretty darn low in the grand scheme of things. Now you, you see it on social media, you see the videos, yeah. you see all the brown ducks being killed in the barley field, you know, and it, right. it it's there, it's out there. But when you when you go when you experience it you you listen you know how many other shots did you hear that morning well none it was just us okay when's the last time you hunted in arkansas and you didn't hear someone else shoot i don't i don't know that i have um so the 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 density of hunters is entirely different now the social media reaction is oh they're they're burning them down out there but the reality is there's not many folks around you and then in turn that decrease in pressure probably leads to an increase in quality of hunts. So, you know, you may can make the argument that, well, it's more enjoyable to go here, to go there. And and that's fine. That's, that's an opinion. But again, you, you look at harvest numbers and, and duck hunting license sales, just that the data doesn't back up that more ducks are being killed and more people are going. Um, so that's right. I say all that just to, to come back to that conclusion. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because you know, you, you flip back just to just to not this past season, season before, they only killed 121,000 mallards in Kansas, and they only killed yeah. 114,000 in Oklahoma. You can combine both of those states' numbers together, and they still don't equal the amount we killed in Arkansas on a bad bad season. Since we recorded this episode a month or so ago, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has released the updated harvest survey numbers from last season. Brent, do you want to give everyone a rundown on what those look like? Yeah, sure. I think I think this will be valuable. And you know, it was an update to the the original recording that we did, but also kind of drives our our point home a little further. Uh, the fact of the matter is, everybody. Uh, took it on the chin last year, harvest rate wise, and then because they were down across the board, uh, there wasn't any state that you know had this this bump up that made you think, oh man, ducks are now showing up here or there, or or even staying in Arkansas because ours took a downturn too. But that's what you get, you know. We talked about it on other podcasts. Bad breeding years. This is what you get. So, uh, but I thought it was interesting from last season's numbers that that Arkansas, you know, mallard harvest wise. Uh, we did harvest 311,000, which was down from, I think, 389,000. So we had a downturn of about 25%. But what is interesting, uh, everybody wants to to hype the Kansas and the Oklahoma um, seasons. Kansas was actually down 116% on their mallard harvest uh, from 2022-23 to, or 2021-22 to 22-23. Oklahoma was down 83%. And then I even took a glance at Missouri and Missouri was down 67%. So these these ducks we don't think we're seeing anymore because they've gone someplace else. I think these numbers really, really show you that that they're not. And I get it, there's some there's some variances. Uh we have a we have a lot more hunters, we sell a lot more duck stamps in those states. So the the volume, you know, is is not really apples to apples, but it but it is when you see that they're their own individual numbers are, are, are dropping like that. Um, and, and you could even take, uh, if you took all three of those states, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri, added up their total mallard, mallard harvest for last year, they're still 100,000 mallards short of where we were in Arkansas uh, harvest rate-wise. So don't think those ducks are showing up somewhere else. I just think we're running a little, little short on population. Yeah. That's, a, that's an amazing stat there, down 116%. Could you imagine the the outcry if Arkansas hunters had to deal with that? Oh, wheels would come off. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, heads would roll. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for those numbers. I think that kind of paints the picture a little bit and gives some more insight on this episode. Let's get back to it. Uh, and and those numbers looking, you know, you have, you'd have to go back and look 20 years back. But those those two numbers for those two states are all time highs uh, for this century, uh, based on these ten year intervals we're looking at. So, you know, our all time high was probably well, it was it was in ninety nine two thousand because we killed a million mallards. But um, you know, they're, they're just not in the ballpark. Now, a lot less hunters, but they got you know they got more days. They got they got one more mallard on the limit. So it's 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 maybe not all apples to apples. And and I don't say any of that to to tell people don't go to Kansas or Oklahoma to hunt that it's, it's a facade and all that. It's not, it's, it's good. I've done it uh, as I said, and uh, it's worth the trip because it's a totally different kind of hunting. Um, and, and uh, you know, you get big, big, big groups of ducks um, and they're, and they aren't, they're not as pressured as heavily. Um, but um, you know, it's, 
it's just a deal where that's a that's a a perception thing that all of a sudden our ducks have shifted over there and that's just just not the right. case and and another important piece to to elaborate on related to those places that is so so different than arkansas is well i should say duck hunting in arkansas because speckle belly hunting is is very similar to this kind of methodology so to speak and kansas is a lot like canada especially related to outfitters because they can send a whole team of people out to ride roads all day to find a concentration of ducks or geese or whatever they're whatever they're chasing or whatever their their clients are wanting to chase and then they can go knock on a door and ask a guy that owns a uh you know a huge cattle farm that's got a pond that's loaded with mallards if he can go out there and hunt the next day and we'll you know we'll split we'll do this we'll do a 60 40 split 50 50 split whatever it is if we can we can go out there tomorrow and sometimes they get told no um but you know they get told yes a lot well flip that and think about doing that in arkansas uh you know if you could ride all over the grand prairie you could ride all, <laughs> or ride all over around your area around hunter and and drive miles and miles and miles and when you see ducks all loaded up on some place you go knock on the farmer's door and get permission to go hunt it that absolutely as far as it relates to ducks does not and probably will never happen um, no all those great all that ground is spoken for is somebody there owns it hunts it leases it um all that now speckle belly hunting is is in arkansas is more akin to that uh there's a lot of uh, the outfitters that are riding roads all day and and finding you know big stretch of dry bean fields that got a bunch of geese on them and and that's not duck hunting ground so they can go knock on a door they can make a phone call and get access but uh you know that that's another apples to oranges situation there that they just have a lot lot more ground to work with and you think you know take your guide service and if you could drive all day in your area and and find where they're all loaded up and and be able to bounce around and one day you're hunting on this particular farm the next day you're hunting on this particular farm and there's 50 miles in between the two of them well yeah you're gonna you're gonna do pretty well and you're gonna be able to put sure. a bunch of really good pictures on on social media <laughs> yeah well so what you're saying there you know it, it lends itself to kind of our next topic or next point um you go back, I remember my dad talking about it in the, you know, in the seventies, sixties and seventies, you could go and and get access and go duck hunt in most any place around hunter that you wanted to, like the hunting pressure was not there. Um, now there was a lot of habitat back then. Most everybody caught some water, held some water. It was a normal farming practice. So there was lots of water on the landscape. We can go back into uh, into rice production and talk about why there was more waste grain on the ground too, but we had more habitat and we had less pressure and people would let you go hunt. Now, if it's got water on it, it's got a lease on it. If it doesn't have water on it, they don't want you on it anyway. So we've increased pressure and decreased, excuse me, increased hunters and decreased habitat, which obviously drives up pressure. So, you know, that's, that's a big shift in Arkansas and we've got the, these reduction in in duck use days or duck energy days, depending on how you kind of want to talk about it. We've covered that with with Dr. Brian Davis before, but you know Arkansas is at a at a deficit right now. We cannot feed all of the waterfowl that come to the state. We don't we don't have enough food on the ground to do it. So say all of that just to say it changes perception. Um, 
and it changes the quality of hunting too. I mean, it, that's a lot of that is kind of we're seeing this this downtick and harvest, and I think that is based on maypons and the abundance of water on the nesting ground. But then when they get here, we do have them. They do hats. They do get here. They're getting shot at everywhere they go. So they get really smart really quick. I mean, how many times in the last five years have you heard someone say that ducks were call shy after the opening weekend of season? I mean, it seems like almost every year that's, man, they seem call shy. You know, we just started shooting at them. So, and some of that is obviously that they're, you know, they're, they're going to get shot at from Canada to Arkansas from September to November. So they're not, they're not dumb when they get here. They're pretty darn educated, but they spend a, a whole winter down here getting chased and, and finding very little food. And it makes for an educated, hard to kill duck by mid season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And what that, uh, that shrinking habitat uh, and, and people go, well, man, what are you talking about? There are, there are rice fields for miles and miles and miles in East Arkansas. You can drive from one yeah. corner of the state to the other, but not all of it is beneficial to a duck, whether somebody puts water on it, whether somebody, uh, does fall tillage and and gets rid of everything that a, a duck would want that was in that particular field, whether the geese get in there and, and wipe it out. There's, we are, we are at a deficit within the state food wise for the amount of ducks mm-hmm. that travel here. And then, yeah. then you throw the pressure on top of it. You know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, nocturnal ducks and how ducks have all of a sudden become nocturnal. Well, ducks are just, they're just trying to survive. Um, and, and what that has done is push ducks onto these, uh, and you can call them the, the the fancier clubs or the big money clubs or the, the whatever you want to call them that have uh, you know an extensive system of of rest areas and food available and all that. Uh, those places, uh, the ducks are forced to go there because that's that's the best resource they're going to have for food. And if those things didn't exist it'd be, it'd be uh, worrisome uh, as to how we were going to feed all these ducks without these, some of these big rest areas. So yeah, I get it. Uh, the ducks kind of hoard up on those things and, and, and maybe don't forage as much as they used to, as far as, you know, you know, flying a transect to this particular farm or having this pattern, they just, they stay on a particular property most of the time until usually weather dictates how big a push they'll make. But right. You know, th- that's, on the current landscape, that's where the food is. And where the food is, is where the ducks are going to be. And that's, I mean, it's just, it's just simple. Right. They're, those places aren't the problem. I mean, those no. are the exception. I mean, they should be celebrated because without them, I think our numbers would be even worse. Oh, we might be seeing a shift if we didn't have some people really working hard to provide quality habitat. No question. No question. And it's, I mean, sure, it's it's easy to drive by or see the videos or look at it and be like, oh man, they're they're just holding all the ducks. Well, I mean, sure, I guess maybe that's the goal for some people, but you know, the duck doesn't know if it's in someone else's woods or in the Cash River bottoms or White River bottoms. It just knows that it's got food and sanctuary. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. At the end of the day, like I think if you look at Arkansas as a whole. You, you look at the experience, the history, you know, you've got Max, the Wings Over the Prairie Festival. I know a lot of our clients, you know, they want to go to Stargard. They want to do those things. And then another day they may head across the river and go check out D- the DU Museum there at Bass Pro Shop. So it's hard to beat the history and the experience of coming to Arkansas and, and getting a glimpse at 
what so many people have have flocked here to do for uh, i mean almost a century now yeah and that and that's and that's where that branding that duck cap of the world that's where that comes from is that it's 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 an experience that that is i mean it's it is hard to rival i mean i know chesapeake bay has some incredible waterfowling tradition uh yeah california uh you know the sacramento valley has in, has a has a strong strong tradition i mean i've i've even been, I've even been to a winery out there that had a whole uh ducks unlimited wetland reserve on it um as part of it uh that had been there for who knows how long um so it's it you know there's some there's some other parts in the country where it is a big deal uh for sure but nowhere nowhere like arkansas it's it's just i mean it's one of the few things we can really hang our hat on <laughs> and and still continue to do so 100 years later cuz you know yeah. we were talking about it. it's you know after they put limits in place and and that was about 100 years ago and people were traveling to come hunt ducks in arkansas then they're coming to travel here now uh we keep making some strides in in trying to reverse this downward habitat trend um they're going to keep coming here because you know we're getting we're getting legislators and the game of fish is getting creative on incentives uh, for farmers to to hold water, no fall tillage. Uh, the federal government this year has a program uh, that that they're going to pay you to flood uh, and 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 hold water uh, for waterfowl and 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 water birds. It's not just just not ducks and geese, but. So, I mean, a lot of people are recognizing the issue and, and we're making strides in it. Uh, and, and, and so is, you know, the conservation organizations are working hard at it. Everybody's aware of the situation and want to reverse the trend. That way it it's, continues to be good for everybody. Because if you really think about it, the better Arkansas does on all this, the better it is for West Tennessee, the better it is for Missouri. Um Louisiana, Louisiana, because uh, yeah, because yeah, those ducks, they're, they're going to gravitate to Arkansas because of the the long standing, you know, uh, beacon that our our part of the world has for a duck. I mean, it's it's just it's it's habitat in a volume that you can't find anywhere else. And so, uh, you know, once we've identified these issues within our own borders that are causing, cause it's not, it's not corn in Missouri that is keeping ducks from here. Uh, there <laughs> there's their Missouri's duck hunting numbers have not shot through the roof. Uh, they've no. got pockets of good duck hunting, just like Kansas, just like Oklahoma. Uh, more of our stuff is internal and the, and the, the more people involved in the sport that come to the realization that it, we can't point fingers everywhere as to why our hunting's not as good and start making strides with what we're doing, um, you know, we're going to see that we're going to see this legacy continue. Right. I, I want to touch on Missouri real quick because that, that's a popular, you know, trend. Oh, you know, Missouri is the new Arkansas. Uh, the harvest doesn't show that, but I will, I will admit to this and I will tell everyone that wants to listen. I don't remember the exact number, but something over 60 private land biologists in the state of Missouri. Now that's those right. are, they were with their quote unquote game and fish commission. Um, they will go out and help private landowners improve their habitat for whatever species they want. And a lot of times it's waterfowl and Arkansas has, is it six? Is that right, Brent? Uh, it's less than 10. Um, but I know, I know they're trying to grow that division, but yeah, it was less than 10. Yeah. And Missouri has 60. 
I talked to one the other day when we were talking about this new uh, this new program coming out to the whole water. Uh, side note: one of my favorite things about that is they want you to whole water in October, which I think is phenomenal. But mm-hmm. anyway, I was talking to a private lands biologist, and he told me how much he covered. He covers basically from the Mississippi River almost to Little Rock. Yeah, I'm like how how do you how do you do anything? And how do you make any real impact? Like you're spread so thin and look, I mean, Missouri has done a great job with habitat and we need to all take note and, and learn from them uh, because we all work together. I mean, not necessarily all the States work together, but what's, what's good for Missouri in a lot of ways is good for Arkansas. And then in turn for Louisiana and all of this end of the flyway and same in other parts of the country. I mean, this is, we're talking about an animal that has, you know, a tiny brain and wings and can swim, you know, like they cover <laughs> tons of space. They can go wherever they want to. So habitat is the name of the game all across the flyway. Um, yeah. But I think that's a big reason why you hear a lot of talk about Missouri. They, well, they've kicked it, our butt. they have. And what, but what's interesting, another kind of a side note of that, um, a lot of the leading waterfowl biologists have ties to Missouri uh, mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Davis that we, we interviewed on that earlier podcast had ties back to Missouri. Mickey Heitmeyer, guru yep. of green timber reservoirs and mallard ducks is a Missouri guy. Our current waterfowl biologist in Arkansas came from Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of ties there and, and, and they have some, they have some habitat that is somewhat similar in pockets, but it's, it's so, it's so much smaller. Uh, right. and then they have some habitat we don't have um that 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 makes it you know different and and things some ducks like and they like it enough that that they just don't go any farther uh that's just mm-hmm. normal it's like some of us like to go to the coastline of alabama and some of us like to go all the way to florida um and go to destin so i mean it's it's not that different um and so it's great that they are because those, those ducks need need food all up down the flyway because because you got to think about now they don't now they only don't only need it coming to us. They also need it when they're going back uh, because they're going to fly back over Missouri as they're going back to the breeding grounds to uh, hopefully end up there healthy and, and ready to make, you know, a bunch of babies. So um, got to think, you know, beyond your own decoy spread a little bit there and, and, and not have, you know, throw so much shade at Missouri and, and realize that we're, we all need to be working together to keep this uh, wildly varying uh, animal alive. That sounds counterintuitive. <laughs> that sounds kind of <laughs> counterintuitive for a hunter to keep them alive, but hey, I mean, it, you know, that's part of it. It's part of the life cycle. They got to be there before you can shoot them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess at the end of the day, maybe not just here in Arkansas, maybe hunters in general, but for sure us are just we're kind of spoiled. Uh, we've seen some really, yeah. really good years uh, in the not so distant past, and you know, we I think we try to stack every year up against that. And that's not, that's not fair. Not really. No, too many, too many variables, way yeah. too many variables, uh, year, even year over year. Um, it's just, it just, uh, it, it's just <laughs> got too wild of swings in it. Can you imagine if social media had been around from 99 to 02? Oh my gosh. I mean, the, uh, the pile picks and craziness. I mean, it, yeah, it, that would have been interesting to see looking back on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you can liken it to the videos you see coming out of Canada yeah. with, you know, 200 mallards trying to sit right on top of a spinning wing decoy. Um, I always think it's funny on those things. 
that uh, you hear, you know, you'll hear the audio <laughs> from that hunt and you hear a guy just cranking on his duck call. Uh, I've done it. I've been to Saskatchewan. You you can leave that thing in your pocket. Yeah. Do not even need to take it. Um, that Because once you flip that switch on that deal, here they come. And that's what it was in, in 99 and 2000 here. Uh, it was truly automatic. So yeah. that would have been, that would have been a wild time for social media to, to be at the point that it is now. Cause uh, there's no telling how, how tainted this sport would be if that was uh that was a thing back then. Oh, uh, for sure. We need to, uh, I know we're going to have Mickey on sometime, but we've got to talk to him about the susceptibility of mallard hens over a spinner in a dry field. That's a, uh, that data oh, is pretty eye opening. And then look, I talked to, I was talking to Jim Ronquist about it last week. Like that's that cat's not going back. Like it's out of the bag and there, no one's going to ban spinning wing decoys. Um, I think it's unrealistic to expect that. Yeah. I just, you're not going to convince Northern States to willingly give up something that helps them because we're down here saying it hurts us. You know I mean? Like they look at our harvest right. numbers and they don't care. And I don't blame them. I, you know, if I was up there, yeah, I, I wouldn't either if I were them, but but I think it's worth worth talking about because it's um, he's got some pretty good data on that topic. But anyway, that's for another day. That's right. That's right. So uh, I guess with that, we'll wrap this one up um, again. Thank you all for listening. Uh, follow along on the website, standardsportsman.com, social media or anywhere you get your podcast. Check us out. Uh, comment. Let us know what you want to hear. What do you want to talk about? Or if you're somebody you want us to talk to, uh, appreciate the feedback. Thanks again. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. From the people who brought you the first motion goose decoy in 1994 comes the first motion silhouette decoy. Once again, Higdon Outdoors has changed the game. I got a chance to get my hands on some of these the other day, and I was blown away. When I first heard they were in the works, I was a little skeptical. I didn't really see how you could have all the benefits of a silhouette, like lightweight decoys, the space savings, the ease of setup and not lose something with adding a motion system. But as soon as I put the first stake in the ground, I knew they got it right. These rigs have amazing motion in the lightest breeze and they sacrifice nothing. I've been chasing specs for over three decades, back when a spec call was even hard to find. It's amazing how far we've come in spec hunting and Higdon Outdoors continues to pave the way. Revolutionary footwear from Light Boots, the lightest waterproof boot ever made. Your first hands-on feed-in introduction to Light Boots is a jaw-dropping experience. With a pair of men's 11s weighing in at less than 26 ounces, light boots are the benchmark in ultra-lightweight toughness, next-generation comfort, and ease of use. Whether you're all-weather hunting and fishing, farm and ranching, or home and gardening, light boots are guaranteed game-changers. Now available in youth sizes.